0: I think probably God just put his foot down and was like, nope, no further.
1: God had to get them ready to want to be.
2: Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. And with me today, since she's the only one who actually has her picture on the screen, I have Karen hey <laughs> and we've got Tracy morning and we have Eric hey good morning good morning everybody I would ask how everybody's weeks are going but uh, we had a pretty good discussion here before we even started recording it some of us even forgot what day it was so um, I think probably a lot of people are just the days blur together and and it's hard to it's hard to keep a uh, good perspective on how how the world is going and I don't know. Everything's just kind of weird, but we are going to have some interesting discussion today, and it's probably going to feel kind of relevant today because of the uh, the subject matter. Uh, we're going to get into the plagues of Egypt, and uh, boy, there's some really interesting stuff in this. Um, I was <laughs> I was kind of getting excited while I was reading it because there's there's some. I don't know. There's just some really neat things. And maybe Tracy will have some good insight for us towards all the Egyptian stuff. But so the, you know, the brief recap here is that Moses had been um, out as a shepherd and was, I I would say, approached, but not really. uh, He, you know, you saw he talked to God in the uh, burning bush and he was told that uh, God was going to take the people out of Egypt and that Moses was supposed to go in and talk to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let him go. And when he did that, Pharaoh basically just said no, and the Egyptian or the, uh, the the Israelite people they weren't really cool with that, and so basically everybody was down on Moses. And chapter five ended with Moses talking to God and be, basically being like, "God, you know what's up? You said this, you 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 know, you tell me to go do this, and it's not happening." Oh, so, he was really
0: okay about that. He says. He says, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It, but, you know, the thing I liked about that, and and something I've noticed in different areas of the Bible with uh, prayer, is that it's it's okay, maybe even good. If we're frustrated with God, just go talk to him. Tell him exactly what you're thinking. Just talk to him about exactly what you're thinking there's absolutely no reason that you can't have any conversation at all with God anything you can talk with God about anything even if you're ticked off at him and i think that's kind of cool because chapter 6 and we we talked about this briefly last week and i i think it's worth bringing up again because God's response right away is now you're going to see what i'll do yeah. what does that i mean how does that how does that feel to you guys that that idea that that um You know, God's just kind of been he's been holding on and things had to kind of get dark before he would really start
4: working. You know, what I look at is I always look at how we've covered, you know, just a few heroes of faith in the Bible. But what I see the most with them is that just like you're saying, they can bring anything to God. They can bring it in anger. They could bring it in questioning. They could bring it in fear. But they had that open conversation with God that nothing was off limits. And I think something like that is something we should strive for today, where sometimes I think we get caught up in the legal out ap- legality of it, you know, in the formal conversation that, you know, we have to, you know, um have some withers, thous, and arts in there when we talk to God. And we don't. We can approach him as a friend, as as our savior as our mentor and just really put our heartfelt needs out there yeah i
0: noticed that um i noticed that last week with the stuff we were talking about where you know the burning bush and god's having this conversation with moses out watching sheep and whatever and moses at one point asks too many self-doubt-laden questions in a row and you know honestly god like snipes back at him he's like son, shut up. I'm telling you to do this and I'll give you the stuff to go do it. Right. And I, and I like that because it was just, it was just like a conversation between two people and you know, like they're trying to have a relationship and they're trying to do stuff. And one person is just a little bit too doubtful. And the other one goes, would you quit doubting me? You know, that's mm-hmm. good. That's a good thing.
4: But I think this, sets the, the base and the foundation for their relationship, you know, where even if we go to when Jesus is here in the garden And the images that are seen, one is Moses, because I think he can relate to what exactly, you know, Jesus is going through and having, you know, the burden of of people on him directly. And I think that this is that foundation that we see that, you know, what he brought everything to to God, and they had that kind of relationship.
2: Yeah, like you said, you know, the these and thous and the dear lords and. And all those things—they're not—they're not necessary, you know. It's just—it doesn't always. Yeah. What
3: about King James.
2: <laughs> it's the only Bible. King James is the only Bible. <laughs> yeah. Written
0: on parchment with a feather quill.
2: <laughs> yeah, yep. So, yeah, I think I thought that was really good. It's okay. It's perfectly fine to talk to God about all your frustrations. Now, verse 3, I thought was interesting, too. Now, uh, it says, this is God talking. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was not, by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And the notes of my Bible is like saying that um, when he's talking about God Almighty, he's using the phrase El Shaddai, which uh, a lot of people are familiar with, especially if you grew up in the 80s and listened to Amy Grant. Um,
0: you want me and to then, sing but, it? I could totally sing
2: it. Oh, I'm waiting now. I'm sure there's some copyright <laughs> thing where we can't publish that, but
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then uh, then the the word Lord is um, the word Yahweh. Oh. I was curious. What do you think? I, I, I was I wasn't real clear on what that mean What what that meant. I appeared to them as God, but my name. Lord, by my name, Lord, I was not known to them.
1: Any insights on that? Anybody know yeah. what he means? Yahweh is kind of like is the um, is the equivalent of God, like lower lower. It's a weird thing. Is it's an uppercase G, God, but it's still a general thing. It's like you know the the big guy upstairs, and Yahweh is his personal name. It's mm. kind of like the difference between. Me saying, oh, dad, and you know, Dick Stenbachen, mm who is my dad, who's like, that's his, that's, that's, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that because Karen, I mean, she's like, my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad. And it's like, I get it. It's her dad, right? But yeah. when she, if she throws down his action, it's kind of in a way, it's like, well, maybe we'll flip it around. This isn't exactly the same, but since, is if, if we were kids and we're running around mm-hmm. and, And my mom uses my middle name. All of a sudden, I know it just got serious, right? Because it's my full personal specific name. And that is because I actually read about that because I'm like, what's the deal with this? Because David Asherick um, will, will, will use the word Yahweh whenever Lord in all caps shows up. And I was like, what is that about? And so I did that reading. And that's the difference. Because like in the story of Jonah, it's bizarre. In the story of Jonah, Jonah himself uses the did the word just Lord. And the sailors are the ones who once they once they learn it, they they learn they use the word Yahweh.
3: Hmm.
1: So like they're tuned in and Jonah is just like, yeah, whatever, it's the big guy upstairs um, if I have that straight. Um, but at any rate, that's what the difference is.
2: Okay, okay. well that's that's good. So this is kind of really the, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time then that God has really referred to him in that way.
3: Go ahead. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, so in this same text, my Bible has a reference back to chapter three, verse 15. And this is where, so this is the speech where Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and God of Jacob has sent you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, that's where the footnote goes to Yahweh.
3: yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, okay. That
2: was just very interesting. So it's, it's kind of like saying, well, I guess you explained it well enough. I, I got it in my head that <laughs> it, uh, it's kind of like just more specific. So that makes sense.
1: okay. So here's an here's an interesting thing on on chapter six, at least the first um, eight verses is I wrote it out a bit more like a poem, and I'll just go through them really quick. He starts with, I am the Lord. And there's a lot of, uh, in a past life, I was an English teacher, right? And so there's a lot of subject verb here. And the subject is always I. And so listen to all the verbs that God just, he rattles this stuff on. I am the Lord. I appeared. I established. I have heard. I have remembered. I will bring. I will deliver. I will redeem. I will take. I will be. I am the Lord. I will bring. I swore. I will give. And I am the Lord. Mm. There's, He leaves no doubt as to who the verb and the subject
4: moving forward is going to be. Yeah,
1: well,
0: I like that. It's pulling rank. I like it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do too. Because it, it kind of lets you know that he is in total control.
0: Yep. That's you know what yeah. I get out of that. Yes, sir. That's what I get out of that is a yes, sir reaction. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Done. How high, Lord? How
1: high? And what's really <laughs> exactly. interesting is in the middle of that. He says, "I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out of Egypt." Oh, it's already oh, done.
3: Yeah.
1: it's mm. already done.
2: What verse is that, Eric? I'm because I'm looking at verse six, and he says, "I will bring you out for." But that's in New King James.
0: I've got that oh. in NIV also.
1: I have the ESV.
2: Is it is it verse six?
0: Let's see.
4: It's verse six. I am the Lord. Nope.
1: mine says, um, I will bring you out from under the burdens.
4: I will rescue you. I
1: will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will, <laughs> you. will be. Mm. I don't have my morning eyes on yet, so I don't have my reading glasses. Well,
2: I guess our our, our readers, they can read through and they'll, they can find it too. It's possible that I'm wrong there our too. Listeners. Yeah. Well, anyway, verse 6 really stood out to me too, though, and it seemed like it had a lot of good uh, uh, connotation for today's believers, because, um, I mean, it's my take that the Israelites were still believers, though maybe things weren't, you know, firmly established for them here yet, but, you know, probably just by passing down from generation to generation the idea that they had a God that was going to bring them, it was going to deliver them, and this kind of thing, and then God comes along, and it just, it just uh, kind of rang true for me for... The current, our, our, our time as well. Because he says, therefore to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And that just that struck true to me because it just seems like even, especially in present day, the way things keep going and going, you know, this past week especially, I just kind of find myself hating Hating the world the way it is right now. And I am so ready, so ready to get delivered from this muck that we're in. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm tired of the political fighting constantly. I'm tired of uh, not being able to see my friends because of a stupid virus. I'm tired of health issues. I'm tired of losing family members. So many things. I'm just, I'm just ready, you know, and the people had to have heard that. And I can only imagine thinking that they had to have kind of felt the same way, you know.
1: Yeah, they, they, they do. By the way, that's in the last part of seven where it says, I'm the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's how mine. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh
0: Yeah. It's past tense also. But, you yeah. know,
1: it's, it's God does. God says all of these things and he is all of these things. Remember, they hadn't seen this for a long time, not in a personal way. And verse nine just is such a bummer, but man, I can totally understand where they're coming from. Yeah, where it says, "But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit, mm.
3: yeah, slavery." Yeah.
0: So I've got NIV. Uh, I've got a parallel Bible, so it's got four versions. But I liked I liked the way NIV said that uh, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement.
2: Well and i guess you know even speaking of that there's a lot of people today who really don't believe that anything's going to happen you know some people you think that i mean they're just convinced that the world's going to end in 12 years you know that's one you hear a lot and the only thing i can figure is they've just kind of either given up on, on believing in in god's redemption and, and and salvation or they never learned it to begin with and that's really it's sad a-
0: there's a text in the New Testament that says because of lawlessness the love of many will grow cold.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I when I look around, you know, like right now we're talking about like the COVID pandemic and the sort of the stuff that's going on with that, but even before that there was this sort of rampant element of lawlessness and how do you look at a how do you look around at a world in <clears throat> your immediate surroundings? That are filled with lawless people who have no priority except themselves. And how, how do you look around at that and not feel your love grow cold? Like, mm. how did Jesus get through three and a half years of ministry with surrounded by ungrateful people who showed up for fish sandwiches, but not necessarily for spiritual betterment? You know, like on the, on the same hand, the needs here are immediate. And when those needs go unmet, you can certainly understand how people get discouraged. It's like, but yep. at the same time, yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's just a big mess, big yep. mess. I just want to go ends. home.
2: <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, chapter six ends in another another recount of genealogy. Not really sure why it was uh, included here.
0: I learned that Amram married his aunt.
3: <laughs> yep. And
0: I got to say, that bothered my little first world brain quite a bit.
3: <laughs>
0: just saying.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it leads up again to just telling us where Moses and Aaron are coming from. Because uh, well, it starts back with, well, it starts with the the, the sons of Israel. And, and leading us up to Moses again. And it says that they are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the people. So, uh, as we get into verse 7, now we might recall last week that Aaron had been named by God to be the spokesman. Because Moses just continually balked at the idea. So, Aaron, Aaron is the one who actually is the one talking to Pharaoh most of the time through the rest of what we'll be talking about today. It's another one of those little discrepancies that if the only Moses you know is charlton Heston or uh Val Kilmer <laughs> um, you know he's he's not he's not the he's not the hero that we that we have been taught you know he's uh he's still working for God, but those those images we have of him just boldly standing up in front of Pharaoh and saying, Let my people go." That's really not it, because he had to get his big brother to to stand in front of him and 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 do the talking.
0: And such um, a colloquialism. It calls it, he says, in the New King James, he says, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? And I'm just like, what an absolutely right-then Jewish thing to say.
4: <laughs> yeah, my, my, I, mean, I, I just you always got to gotta bring the circumcision into it. Yeah,
0: really? It
4: makes, my, it makes my
2: nose curl up, and I got this... <laughs> I I'm just like, what? That's what? <laughs> Would you say that? <laughs> that is really, really weird, Moses. <laughs>
4: Maybe you shouldn't do the talking. I'll talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Maybe not. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, good stuff. Well, yeah, so. Th- God's got a message that he wants to convey, though, here, and uh, verse 5 stood out to me. He says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. That's that's kind of the big catalyst of everything that's going to happen here, is that God is not just establishing himself to the Israelites, but he's going to establish himself to Pharaoh and the Egyptians as well. Because we got to remember, I mean, they had an entirely different religious system that they had come up with. I don't I don't know how I don't know how other religions get established, really. You know, Uh, does somebody just someday go, hey, I have an idea or, you know, is there something else in the background going on?
0: I have probably. guilt and I have ideas. Let's
2: fix it. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. You know, maybe a little bit of both. I can imagine there's some deception from Satan going on. You know, coming up with the idea of, hey, Pharaoh, you're God. You're the you God. You know, you're you're the most important God here. Or you think of any of the other religions. You know, you think the Nordic religions and you know Thor and Odin or um, Wicca or uh, Hinduism. You know, uh, Buddhism. Any of these things. You know, somebody. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know how they come up with these different religions because I mean here we've got very specifically and I haven't I haven't studied into other religions that deeply, you know. I mean my my greatest knowledge of Thor comes from Marvel movies and a little bit that I <laughs> read about him in uh you know probably grade school, you know. So it's not all just comic books, but um here we we got a bible here where God is specifically Literally talked to people before, and like here with Moses, like I am God, I am, you know, I have been the God to your ancestors, and now we are physically going to go and do this thing, and we're gonna we're gonna record it. And so here, when he's he's saying, even even the Egyptians are going to know me. I think that's very significant. How about you guys?
1: Yeah, and in verse four, it's interesting. We forget about this, but again, it comes up in the Psalms a lot. Uh, and again, in Revelation, they are do, in in uh, four. He says, "You you'll be brought out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment." So they are delivered by judgment. And all the ta- too often we think of judgment as like that's about me, and it's going to go badly for me, and I feel guilty and bad. But God is using it in. It's one and the same. Judgment and deliverance are the same.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think my note there was even, too, that he's going to use He's going to use Pharaoh's defiance for his own purposes. He knows the Pharaoh's going to defy this thing, and God's going to be able to use that anyway.
0: Okay, Eric, so I think I remember a few weeks ago you saying something to the effect of, because you were talking about this idea of judgment, and it was kind of like a wait till your father gets home, and then how you view judgment in that situation if you and your sibling have been... Clashing as siblings do, how you view your father coming home and producing judgment depends on which sibling you are.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Mm. I
0: thought that was a great analogy that really stuck with me because it's like, if you're the sibling who's been misbehaving and you honestly knew better, well, then yeah, dad coming home and, you know, issuing out some dad judgment is a horrible thing. But if you're the sibling who has been wronged in that situation, you're like, oh, thank God, dad's coming home. (laughs)
3: That's right. And that's, We're gonna have
0: we're gonna have us some judgment.
3: Yeah, and that I think is the
1: the picture in Revelation for sure. Yeah. Um and here it's a picture of these people. Um I mean my heart goes out to them because they don't know God. No. Really. They don't know who he is. He says he's gonna show up and do all these things, and they're like, Well, it hasn't been very good for us yet, you know.
4: Right. Hmm. Yeah. And so here, you know, but part of, me, part of me kind of gets lost when you're looking at like the Egyptian culture and and how we're saying that they didn't know him. And I think that – I think they got lost in it. I think they got lost in all the deities that were there because there were so many. Just like, like Matt was saying, it was kind of like um, Greek and a Norse mythology where there was just so many gods. And then they were so highly revered and statues and cities built to all of them which they were contributing into building i wonder if they that's where they lost some of their identity mm. oh i think so because when you see that and you see them when you we move ahead and they're wandering in the in the in the desert that you know they had adopted some of these lifestyles egyptians had gone with them as well so you know i'm wondering if it was part of just reassimilating them back into their original culture as well as maybe the breaking down and and the shedding of these for lack of a better term bad bad habits that they had obtained
2: well it certainly you know it had become a whole culture it was a whole and I don't know it's like just about anything I suppose anything you get taught as a kid, and you're raised up with, and the culture is surrounded by, it, or the culture is, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, formulated it. by it. It's, uh, it can be hard to reprogram yourself it's just well, ingrained.
0: I think that that's why once they were out of Egypt and past the Red Sea, they took a little break, and God wrote them the Ten Commandments. It was kind of like a reorientation. Like if I grew up Hebrew. In Egypt, under slavery, I would be taught who the god of my fathers is. But what does that mean in everyday life? I'm surrounded by a culture that has lots of gods. And I'm surrounded by taskmasters with whips who make sure that I act like this, regardless of what my spiritual beliefs might say. So my spiritual beliefs become almost irrelevant. Like they're important somewhere in my head, but they don't actually have the impact on my day-to-day life and my decision-making process. And my behavior that maybe they should or could, right? So mm-hmm. as soon as they get out of Egypt and they're a safe distance away and the Red Sea is, be- is between them and, and Egypt and the Egyptian army has been taken down to their, you know, watery grave, all of a sudden we stop and we like have a serious come to Jesus moment where it's like, this is the law. This is the law and this is how you act. Remember this, do this, don't do that. Here are your guidelines.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: I always thought that was, I just, I always thought that was great because then because then they're out wandering around and it's just them. Their entire their entire life can reorient and once they had that in place then we get to this to building this you know the synagogue. Like mm-hmm. once you reorient to God now this is how you worship.
4: See and I think that was a pivotal moment too because sometimes we just fail to to take into consideration they didn't always start out like this. They weren't always slaves. There was a part when when Joseph was there and they were given the land of Goshen which was which was prime real estate at that point and it just kind of declined into the slavery part. And yep. then once we get there, like you're saying, and, and it's that pivotal moment where um, now I'm going to give you the 10 commandments. We have to shift back down to, you know, from the mountaintop down to the Valley where they're at right now, building a golden calf, trying to go back and reestablish what they were doing in Egypt. And then that's where, you know what? You're going to follow me at this point. That's where you see the breaking off of of Levi, the tribe of Levi, to saying, you know what? We're going to follow God. This is what we believe and kind of establishing them in their, you know, the priesthood that they, they would, you know, go on to have. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, well, um, let's start
1: talking about some signs here. Oh, before we do before we do before we go there okay uh, I know and I think it was last week we were we were wondering about Moses's age and how we mm-hmm. knew this stuff mm-hmm. is it does show up in uh verse 7 chapter 7 that he was 80 years old when he was uh called to go um, back to Egypt but I happen to be reading in um, acts and in acts chapter 7 also this is the speech of Uh, Stephen, and he gives a history of the Israelites, and he specifies in Acts 7.23 that Moses was 40 years old at his flight from the uh, house of Pharaoh.
0: Oh, there you go. We Uh, were all saying that, but we couldn't think, (laughs) you know, like where we knew that from.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I just want to say we were not making that up. And <laughs> that could, Stephen goes over that and he gives both the 40 when Moses fled and 80 when he comes back. Okay. Cool. We're
0: not dumb. Yay.
2: <laughs> Thanks for establishing our credibility, Eric.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was seriously wondering it's like, how, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, we all knew it.
2: We all,
1: yeah, we all knew it, but
2: it's like, I don't know. Alright, well, the first sign the first sign that God has happened here is Aaron, not Moses, is supposed to throw down his staff and it becomes a serpent. And I'm just wondering I, I, I wonder if there is significance to the serpent. Oh here. yeah. I mean, of course, we I think my first thought of, of course is the serpent in Eden. Um oh. I think about a story we'll probably be reading in a few weeks here of the serpents, you know, the serpent held up by the rod um, out in the wilderness, you yeah. know, and, and, and serpents always represent
1: Satan. But here's the thing is, if, if you remember, Finn got a magazine, um, a kid's magazine, and they're talking about restoring two-tone commons mask, his mm-hmm. funerary mask. Mm-hmm. And his burial mask has two gods right on the front of his forehead. And a snake is one of them.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. ah, okay.
1: I mean, that was one of their, their that was, I looked up uh, Egyptian gods. Cause I'm we like, Oh, I bet there was 10 Egyptian gods. Now there's more yeah. like 2000.
3: <laughs> <It's like, laughs> yeah.
1: Lots. They yeah. worshiped everything. Mm. Um, but it So was, that is,
4: go ahead. I was just saying, hey, but that was one, one of them.
3: That was a. The-
4: one of the things that's also put on a lot of the, you know, headdresses that you see on a lot of the structures in Egypt, too, is snakes.
1: Right. Yeah. So to that point, as I, as I read through this, the first nine, anyways, we get through, I made a, a, a chart because I was just curious as to, like, which ones, which, which plague was which, and which ones did the magicians copy? How many did they copy? Mm-hmm. And which of these plagues ended up in Egypt and Goshen, or were they separate? And so I've, I did chart that out because it was always interesting to me. So, I mean, I can go over those details when we, when we want to in the discussion, but it is kind of interesting because there are a few lines that get drawn where the magicians, um, for example, since we're talking about that, when Moses throws down or interesting, it was Aaron's staff Yep. In this Aaron, case, um, throws down his staff. The magicians copy it. Right. And when the Nile turns to blood, the magicians copy it. Mm-hmm. And when the frogs even, I thought that was fascinating when the frogs, um, I can see a magic trick, you know, kind of doing the, 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 the water to blood, you know, bring some Kool-Aid powder and slip it in there or whatever it is. It's like, but the frogs is like, man, I don't know. The, the Egyptian magicians duplicated that or at least gave the appearance that it was duplicated mm-hmm. um, all the way up to the gnats. When, when Moses began on God's behalf, the plague of the gnats, the magicians tried like literally like, I think we could do this. And then they couldn't. And they came back to Pharaoh in 819 and they're like, yeah, this is God. This is not a magic trick. This is outside our realm. And that is when the magicians stop trying to, like they don't try to do the boils and I'm mean, sorry, they don't try to do the livestock dying or not dying. There's no mention of them. And then when it's boils, the magicians are so hammered, they can't even show up in court. Yeah. Like they don't even have, they don't even render an opinion. They are so out of this. So it kind of goes in this progression of, things with the magicians as they participate in these things.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and that's interesting because, you know, we we know Satan has power in this world. And but it's interesting that in this in this situation, God chose things that Satan was allowed to duplicate. Yeah. And then at some point, he wasn't allowed to duplicate anymore. And I doubt right. it was some biological thing about gnats. That Satan is somehow just not allowed. He just can't do it. Like, well, I can do frogs, but I can't do gnats. I doubt it's a supernatural ability. I think probably God just put his foot down and was like, nope, no further. No mm-hmm.
3: further. Yeah.
0: So yeah. He's, like, he's guiding people's belief in the power, right? Like, like, that's what I see. When I think of that as a pattern from back here, Like he's guiding people's belief in who's running the show and what that person is capable of. That's interesting.
1: And and it parallels how it goes down to where they go because the the, the, uh, serpents are only in Pharaoh's court. The Nile turning to blood. Apparently that was the entire land of Egypt. And it was for seven days. It specifies that. Frogs were apparently everywhere. It says all the land of Egypt. And the gnats apparently were also everywhere. And then once we get to the flies, it there's there's a line drawn in, in 822 and 23, um, there is a division proclaimed. And it that division is proclaimed again in 926, mm-hmm. to where it's like, okay, there's going to be Egypt and Goshen, and they're not going to experience the same things. And then from then only as it, as it rolls forward, it's Egypt. So this, this thing of like the magicians not being able to duplicate things and it applying only to certain areas happens at the same time. And that's the, between the gnats and the flies where we see God kind of put his hand down between these two areas. And to my part of my point with that is, is that the, the Israelites, they went through the blood turning, the, the water turning to blood. That was incredibly gross. And this wasn't like some, oh, I've heard people say, well, that was probably just a sunrise over the Nile. That looked for seven days doubtful,
0: where they were having to dig wells next to the Nile to get drinking water.
1: Right. And so this was this was a major sign that got the attention of everybody. Frogs, also, they were just everywhere in everybody's house in Goshen and Egypt. Same with the gnats. And I'm sure, to your point earlier, Matt, about being ready to be done, Mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody was ready to be done, including the Israelites. Because remember, later on, they said, oh, this is after they've been delivered from Mm -hmm. Egypt. They said, I wish we could go back. They had onions and watermelons (laughs) and stuff. We could go back. God had to get them ready to want to leave. Otherwise, I think they just wanted to stay and said, you know, this isn't so bad.
0: Take yeah. the known over the unknown any day of the week. Most people. Yeah.
2: Oh, and that absolutely makes sense. Cause you know, there's days you're like, Oh, Hey, the world's pretty cool. I kind of like some of the stuff here and I, it might not be cool, but it might not be great to let it go and leave it behind. But then you get to other points and you're just like, no, it would be totally worth leaving that stuff behind. Let's just go.
0: Yes. All of
3: it.
2: Yeah. All
3: of it. Let's go.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, so that's, that's kind of that's what breeds that's what breeds Laodicea, right?
3: Mm-hmm. And that
0: and that same attitude of Laodicea, that same lukewarm, sort of tepid, like, no, this fence is kind of digging into me, honestly, but I'm fine on it. I can hold ideals over here and live my life over here, and God's got to shake you off of that before you're willing to take action. Yeah. Often. Hmm.
2: All right. So that first sign, then I guess we've established that, that by those serpents, that was really just kind of a that was like a little teaser of God pointing out that I'm I'm greater than these things you worship.
0: Yeah, I think the first plague was the Nile.
2: And then and then you get into the first plague, which is the Nile. And the water becoming blood. And I I can't help feeling like that is a like a what do you call it? A uh, foreshadowing of Christ, you know, turning water to wine. And we have, you know, water and blood coming from his side. Um, I'd have to really sit and contemplate, you know, know exactly why this one was picked first. Although, um, as we're going to go through, I I found a, a site that um, it showed the egyptian gods that correspond to every one of these plagues and it's really kind of fascinating because the first the the first plague being on the nile the egyptians had a god i'm i don't know if it's Happy. happy h-a-p-i is the way it was it was spelled Happy, i'm gonna say and that was the god of the nile
0: yeah yeah i was just, that's what i was sitting here thinking is didn't they worship the nile like he was attacking their gods
4: well, mm-hmm. that was their. That was everything to them. Was the Nile? Right. They built their whole civilization around the Nile.
3: Well, you All think the crops? Mm-hmm, everything.
4: everything. Water
2: is life. You know, if you're if you have a religion where you worship the things in nature, you know, it's going to make sense that probably one of the greatest things you worship, or you know, a very essential thing you worship, is going to be whatever is over the water because you got to drink it you need it to grow things your livestock needs it you need I mean you need water for absolutely everything yeah. and so for that first plague to hit that that most vital resource that that, that was a pretty big deal so and, you know, and i think one
4: thing too, that I was- when you first see it in with the snakes that was in, in pharaoh's court that was just maybe for his eyes where mm-hmm. when you go to the Nile, it was for everyone to see now. This, this took it just from, you know, the, the court of Pharaoh and just for him and the royalty there to making it the entire country where everybody's seeing this and everybody's exposed to
3: it. Mm-hmm.
0: So one of the things I thought was interesting about the Nile is it says the streams, canals, the river, obviously, ponds, reservoirs will all turn to blood. Even in the vessels of wood and stone. All right. So I've got an urn of water that I've gone and pulled, and for me to do my cooking for the day, and I go to pour out of it, and that's blood, also. Okay. But apparently, not everything turned to blood immediately, because otherwise, where would the magicians have duplicated this? Right. Yeah. Like something, something remained not blood, or the magicians
1: were they would not have well.
0: had anything.
1: Or they dug a well, like the other ones, like that's how they got fresh water, which I think is, which is good because God actually gave them some way to not all die because they can't live seven days without any water.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. I'm thinking that. To your point though, Karen, it gets, it gets tighter and tighter on them.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking
2: also that seven days is significant here because what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear seven days?
4: Completeness.
2: Completeness. The first thing that I think of is creation. If this is you know God not just attacking their their you know this vital resource and this this concept of a God over this vital resource, but also establishing I made this stuff. You know I don't know if the Egyptians um, uh, had a concept of the seven day week the way that the Israelites and the way we do now. You know all all revolving around creation, but. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't help coming to that conclusion. Yeah, we know we mentioned that the magicians performed that exact, or you know, the same thing. Somehow made it look the same anyway. And don't forget that it wasn't just that the river turned to blood. Nothing could live in that. Right. So all the fish died. All the fish in that. And it in that smelled river. bad. Oh, and it's yeah. It says it stunk. So you can just imagine. I mean the. You know, a major river going through the the major uh, population centers, and it just stinks like rotting fish.
1: Well, interesting thing here. We um, live in Greeley, which is one of the uh, meat processing capitals of the America here. And when the wind is just right. (laughs) Oh, yes. smell a rendering plant Mm -hmm. or there's one particular spot on the highway in Nebraska, you can smell a rendering plant. You, it's Kate's memorable to me. I know where that spot is on Interstate eighty, and my windows go up, and I turn my air on recirculate. It is no joke.
3: Come yeah,
1: on. yeah. smell money. T- if money. If other <laughs> people's money <laughs> stinks, <laughs> that's what I say. If other people's money smells like that, um, if your whole country smelled like that, that would be memorable.
2: Yeah, yeah, it smells like money. No, it smells like. Finish the
4: sentence. yeah and mayhem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like we're going to get a new part to the hospital or a new elementary school. That's what it smells like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dear>. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so the second plague then
2: is frogs. And now interesting that they come up out of the Nile. So it almost seems to me like one plague led into another one here because clearly the frogs aren't going to stick around in the Nile no. when it's blood. I'm not sure if there's a correlation thing here, but it just seems likely that maybe one just kind of, refl- you know, went into the next one, you know, and I guess I don't know. Do we have any reason to think that these plagues wouldn't have overlapped a bit? I mean, do now, you have a whole
1: of them, at least as they go down further, there is a specific end to them. I mean, Moses would sometimes ask Pharaoh, "Okay, you want this right. to end? When right. do you want this to end?" Mm-hmm. Like very very specific he would sometimes say and this is when it's going to start tomorrow and so these weren't i guess the point to that is is that there could be people would god god gave a heads up on this that this is not some naturalistic thing yes it's not like Oh, Mm -hmm. well, because the frogs died, um, all the gnats like just laid eggs in the dead frogs and then they just all came came to gnats. And then when the gnats went away, the flies came to eat the gnats. And then, you know, it's these are very specific, like and it's over, like the whole thing is over and it's done. And then it's like, and now what will you do, Pharaoh? Well, Mm -hmm. I changed my mind, you know, and then it's and then it's back to the next thing, because I think. Otherwise, it would be okay to say, well, one of these things just kind of led to the next, which led to the next. And it just kind of naturally happened this way. Well, like on
0: the. Sorry, go ahead and
1: finish. I was just going to say there's care taken to say, and this ends here. Like when the frogs die specifically, they like all die in place, all at once. It wasn't like a, oh, they all just kind of hopped away to somewhere else and they, nope. They were just dead in an instant, and Mm -hmm. deal with it.
2: Yeah, and imagine that dead frog smell on top of dead fish smell. This is not a happy time in Egypt.
0: Well, but even, even between the first two plagues, there's a very clear line. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. Then I mm-hmm. will team the frogs. They will come and come up into your palace and your bedroom and into your bed and the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs.
2: Yeah, that's right. The
0: frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials like this is like this. This was not a phase one, phase two. This was separate.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I remember that now. Yeah, well, the uh, the Egyptian god for this one was Hecate. And she was the goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. And she had a head of a frog. So.
0: Attractive. Sounds very yeah. attractive. The, pi-
2: the picture I saw, uh, I, uh, it's a reproduction, I think, of something that was probably found on a wall somewhere. But it almost looked like a woman with Kermit the Frog's head.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was kind of the thing oh, that I do. do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you see the drawings and there's a jackal's head on a person or there's a... I mean, that's just kind of the way they depicted things, which I think is... I mean, that's pretty straightforward. It's like, yep, here we go. This is what our idea is. Yeah.
2: Yep. So Wait. then the third... Oh, was somebody I saying something? The frogs and the gnats. Yep. The, the yeah. na- well, well, we get... uh Well, gnats come... later? Or do right we up. get... Uh, Okay, well mine said mine said lice. So that's that's what I got I got going on here. Uh the first what is lice. You say gnats though, huh?
1: That's how the ESV puts it.
2: Okay. Well, either way, little bugs. Little bugs that are gonna be biting at everything. I mean, you ever go out in your yard to mow the lawn in the middle of summertime and sometimes the gnats just get so crazy, you know, and, no and they and they they you know they attack your eyes and they get up in your nose and they want to be in your mouth. I don't know. It's like it, it, you just swat them away and they just come right back. And
1: you, oh, it you makes just want you to think.
2: Insane. Yeah, it's just it's just awful. It's awful. And that's just a few of them in your yard. And just imagine. I mean, it said all the dust of the land became
4: swarms of them.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is the first one that the Egyptians, that the the magicians couldn't duplicate for this for is whatever
0: the of god.
3: Yep. Yeah,
2: they, they acknowledge that this is this is this is a uh, uh, this is something else. This is not this is not our gods. This is not our power. This is uh, they acknowledge God here. Now, this God, this Egyptian God, was um, Geb, and this was the God of the Earth. So the idea of the the, the all these bugs is coming up out of the ground. This would have made the Egyptians think of their of their God of the earth. And every one of these is just you kind
0: think of, of a horror film.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> but it's going to be making everybody there think, you know, it's, it's got to make them think about how all these things that they have revered are just being manhandled. God handled. Let's say manhandled. Isn't the right phrase here. Cause yeah. just being just willy nilly, uh, uh, tossed around
4: by, uh, God, this God that they didn't know, you know, and I think that to that case in point is that there's a a certain amount of time which gives them a chance to, to try to rally these gods and, you know, and pray to these gods and ask for answers to these gods, which don't, doesn't work at all. So, you know, I think that causes some questions to be brought up too about all their religion and, and shake them in essence too.
2: So the fourth plague is flies, and this would have referred to their god, Kepri, who was the god of creation, the movement of the sun, and rebirth, and he had the head of a fly. These guys were weird when they made up their, their gods, um, but a god with the head of the that fly, house. I mean, I think of Jeff Goldblum here.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> this is so gross, though. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them.
2: Flies. I
1: mean, and on
0: this day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there.
1: Yeah. Yes. And to that point, later in that, in verse 23, it says, Thus I will put a division right. between my people and your mm-hmm. people. And the footnote of that word division, that word division means set redemption.
2: And very specifically for one people over another one, my people. Because it said, "I will make it." Uh, uh, New King James. It said, "I will make a difference between my people and your people." And he also said, "In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land, I will make a difference between my people and your people." So, just a little reminder there. This is because you're going to know who I am. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. Pharaoh starts. This is where Pharaoh starts to try to placate. I think Moses here, or because he tells him. Go, sacrifice your God in the land.
0: No, uh, he's been saying that since early. He well, said he had, that at the frogs.
2: Did he? Okay. But he says, go. And, but, oh, but the big difference here is Moses says, no. Because it doesn't indicate here like he's like, go out of Egypt and, and do your thing. It's like, just go make your sacrifice, Just do it. And Moses says, no, because this would be um, the abomination of the Egyptians. Uh, let's see. How did that go? Verse 26.
4: What chapter are we in here? Uh, 8. Yeah, 26. It is not right to do so, or it would be sacrificing the abominations of Egyptians to the Lord our God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it was like,
2: no, if we do this here, it's just going to make us look... It's just going to draw us down more. It's going to make us look worse in in Egyptians' eyes, and that's not what's supposed to happen here. And so, no, we are supposed to go three days out of Egypt to do this. That's the only thing we're going to settle for. And that is the interesting thing, too, here, is that at this point, it hasn't been so much that Pharaoh's supposed to give them freedom. It's just, you You just need to acknowledge that I'm God and you need to let my people go sacrifice. He hasn't even said, let them go back to Canaan. It's just been, it's been a relatively small, well, relatively small, letting, I mean, if the, if the Israelites outnumbered the Egyptians, I guess you're letting the majority
1: of the, population leave uh, certainly
0: the workforce
1: yeah yeah but this is for three days i mean there's more going on here because oh sure any system i mean good grief our country's been shut down here this will date the podcast a little bit but i mean we've been largely shut down for close to two months now Mm -hmm. and if we if we were offered like would you trade all this for just three days easy peasy we would all say sure Mm -hmm. No. You want us all to sit in the same chair for three days? Got it, man. We're going to do it, whatever. Um, yeah. And it seems like it's not a super huge request to let these people actually do a sacrifice for three days, which makes me wonder if the Pharaoh was really, truly that, like, just hardcore mean on these people, that he wouldn't literally give them three days. Or if he was truly thinking like, okay, this is up, this is it. Once I let them go for three days, they're never coming back. I don't know.
2: Well, Pharaoh initially says, "Okay, fine, go do it," but then he almost immediately turns around and says, "Nope, I'm not going to let you go." Uh, let's see. We are on chapter nine, the the fifth plague when the, all of the livestock get diseased. It says there's a pestilence on the on the on the Egyptian livestock. Yeah. Um, verse three here. Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And in verse 4, And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So again, this is in one place, or, or it's everywhere except for one place. This is for the god Hathor. This was the goddess of love and protection, and she had the head of a cow. Now that's—I don't know about a, a cow as the god of love and protection, but hey, I'm not Egyptian. Again, though, this is uh, this is this is again attack against these false gods. And imagine imagine the, the economic disaster this would have created. Oh man, yes. Because now you've got—I mean, animals for food. You got animals for pre- transportation. You've got animals. Um, used for your military uh you're using products. animals for farming products i mean everything every all kinds of things so much and 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 now you've got on top of dead fish and on top of dead frogs and and uh you know probably little <laughs> gnats or lice or whatever they were all over everything that has to get brushed off um now you have got dead livestock everywhere or what do you do with that how do you how do you Dispose of that, you know. Um,
0: Got to uh, be bonfires. Got to be bonfires.
1: Yeah, we have to be fires. Yeah. So interesting. You 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 brought this up. Is that it is interesting that it says it's livestock because you you mentioned just kind of in passing like oh his military, but I don't think the military horses were affected yet. Mm-mm. I think this was what? specific to their yeah, it, farm animals. And livestock, because the Egyptians yeah. drive yeah. chariots out shortly after this. Yeah, they chase
2: them They're- It's true. And, yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't say horses.
1: And later, it's interesting when we see hail. The hail actually kills animals in the field, and there's an interesting footnote to hail. We'll get to that when we do. But basically, there were some animals left alive after this that weren't livestock. I'm not sure the exact whole everything. But because, well, I'll just skip ahead, because in the, in here, in it, it's in verse chapter 9, 18, I think it is, 19. Now, therefore, send your livestock and all that you have in the field into stay, safe shelter. So there was still something left here when the hail came. Mm-hmm. Karen has so her finger up.
0: In verse 3... It says, of chapter 9, it says the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. Mm. So, apparently, it didn't extinct all of them.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. somehow. There's some that there were some, maybe in barns, or maybe the ones that were in town didn't die. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, either way. Dead animals. What? Lots of them. Smelly, inconvenient, expensive, horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a big old
2: a big old mess. Let's see. Um now the first five plagues, it seems like uh there was some warning given. And verse that or uh, not verse, but the sixth plague doesn't seem like there was any warning given at all. It's just that Moses basically walked into the into Pharaoh's court, tossed some dust in the air, and it just went out over all of Egypt and caused boils on people and yeah. animals and animals. Yeah, on everything. But it was just, this is, yeah. And the others were like, this is going to happen. And this time it's just, nope. <laughs> Moses just walks in and, and uh toss some, toss the dust in the air.
0: And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them.
2: Yeah. So even now, I mean, the magicians would probably I'm thinking like holy men, you know, Um, we would. That's probably how we we would think of them today. And and they can't they can't even stand up in that court. They can't even show up because they're they're just uh, inundated with sores all over their body.
1: Let me tell you one. I don't know if you've ever known anybody that's had a boil or seen them in person. I don't know if you've seen them, Tracy. They're not so common in the U.S. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell us, uh, Just is that like a little, I know the answer to this, but uh, tell us, is that just like a little itchy spot that's inconvenient? What's it, what's, up, what's up with that?
4: Oh, it is huge. It is is raging. It's inflamed. It's very painful. And this is just one. Can you imagine a body worth of these things? Um, mm. Yeah, no, you definitely don't want one.
1: No, these are. I I,
4: when I was lived
1: in Micronesia, they were not uncommon, and especially on the uh, uh, legs and ankles because they would get nicked by things. I think when walking around and so on, because you had bare legs all the time. One boil would pretty much lay you out, like you couldn't go to work, you couldn't get anything. Basically, you just laid on the ground and moaned.
0: Didn't Joe have them from head to toe?
1: Yes, yes. So this is. You've got the whole country at this point, just basically probably laying around saying, just let us die. Mm. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is, this is really, really okay. So, livestock, that's them. Flies and gnats, it's inconvenient. It makes me angry. Boils, it's just like, let me die. This yeah. is so awful. Just let it be over.
2: Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that one of the plagues directly attacked the people themselves. Everything else had been peripheral and they'd had to deal with consequences but now it's the people themselves that are covered with this medic- medical uh, malady and their goddess of medicine was isis mm. so now even their goddess of isis is not able to help them she's being overrun doesn't sound like a good time uh the seventh plague hail and we're not just talking ice we're talking like ice and fire Wow. um, we, We've had some pretty good hail. In fact, I think, Eric, you might have even talked about some pretty big hail um, here on the podcast once. But, you know, I mean, here, I, I've never seen it myself. But you hear about here in Colorado sometimes softball size hail. I've seen golf seen ball size hail seen fairly it. regularly. Um, and that here's golf my, ball size stuff will— My
4: hail story is okay. Nebraska, Scott's Bluff softball size and it made me automatically think of this in the bible is that when it would hit the ground it would spark what whoa Uh, yeah it was hitting the ground and there were sparks coming out of the ground when it would hit but yeah softball size wow and actually saw a person get a young probably 13 year old get hit in the, in the shoulder of the clavicle area. See a big hematoma form on his clavicle. It's yeah. Hail was definitely no joke. Man. Oh man. And then, you know, you think about their structures of, you know, wood and this kind of stuff. And you know, you don't, it doesn't really say how large the hail was, but you know, that it has the potential to tear everything up, tear your buildings and your structures up and your statues and everything else.
0: Um, well apparently uh, apparently the building structures were strong enough because the advice was take your slaves and your animals and bring them inside. Yes. So yeah I don't think that the, I don't think that the size of the hailstones was the issue here. It's not like it's not like revelation where each hailstone weighs a pound.
3: yeah
1: hundred pounds that would
0: go through a, that would go through a building yeah
1: mm-hmm. that's a hundred pounds. Yeah, there we go. That's the one. Mm-hmm. So, so this in 14, for this time, I'll send my plagues on you yourself. This is nine. And on your servants and your people so that you will know that there is none like me in the in all the earth. And this is worth noting. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and all your people with pestilence. Pestilence being, is my understanding, um, a virus or a communicable disease type of a thing, right? And you would have all been cut off from the earth. Mm -hmm. He's saying like, look, if I really wanted to, you guys would all just be dead. Let's get that clear.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I have that whole phrase here. I was going to read, just read it here quickly. 14 through uh, 16 says, for at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be
4: declared in all the earth. That is a powerful statement.
0: Pulling rank again.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, but I think it's even if we look back, you know, from the very beginning of us doing our podcast and, and Job, you know, I don't think we kite, we get, it doesn't really hit home when it's just material things in objects but when you touch somebody's flesh i think that tends to really get their attention yeah it was the same with Job, and as we see the same here that it gets real when it starts to affect you know people and and cause and bring pain
1: but then, right. but then it goes right to 17 you're right tracy but then it, but this goes to our free will thing again god says you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if like, well, I'm going to do this anyways. It's like, you, I'm warning you. And this is the first plague that I recall that they're given an out. I mean, it's like yeah. there's, there's a lot more kind of ramp up to this one than in the other ones. Like you just mm-hmm. said, it's kind of like, here you go. Boom. This one is, there's a really specific warning, and it's like, look, you are not listening. And in Uh 18, it's like, about this time tomorrow. So he's just saying, look, here's your chance. And in 18, he says, now, get your livestock and all that you have in the field and get it into shelter. I mean, he's saying specifically, here's your chance. And it's interesting, as I recall, that some people did.
0: Yes. That's in the next right. verse. In 20, in twenty, it says, Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, Newt was the goddess of the sky. So having this stuff, having uh, having hail fall from the sky is going to get them seeing, once again, that another one of their gods is being thwarted. Um, something I was reading a note somewhere. was talking about how the flax and barley what was mostly affected here, but it didn't say anything about the wheat. So the flax was largely used for textiles, so for their clothing and such. And the barley, I guess, was used for making booze a lot. you know, I mean, I know that that's we use it for other things too. Um, but that this was going to make them rather uncomfortable, but it doesn't say anything about the wheat, which would have been a, an absolute food staple. So, uh,
0: why do you assume that that would be a food staple? Well, I
2: I don't know, I guess maybe it is for us. You know, we make bread and such out of it.
0: You but can it is bread out of barley. Oh, no. I know
2: you can. I know you can. But the note I was reading was saying that the Egyptians used barley and flax mostly for other things.
1: And It says in 32 the wheat and emmer were not struck down because they were still coming up.
3: Mhm. Oh,
0: so, so maybe it's the time of year.
1: Yes. Could be the time of year. <laughs> That, that it was the time of year, and that they weren't totally doomed to death by this. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. It where... wasn't a death sentence to the entire country because mm-hmm. of this.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you got to you got to think their livestock is gone,
4: um, and it so, says right at, it says right at the end of thirty two. Or those are late crops.
2: Yeah. So you got you got to think they've been having a lot. I mean, the fish. I don't remember. There were certain things that they didn't so much eat, but you gotta think their fish are gone, so they're not gonna be, they're not gonna be eating those. I mean, I guess the Nile, if it started flowing again, they might come back, but it's gonna be depleted. Um, and then their livestock are gone, so that food supply is gone. And now, uh, huge crops are gone. So, um, God's showing some grace here by not, not wiping out everything. I mean, He's not trying to kill the Egyptian people, He's just trying to get the attention of them. You know, and and Pharaoh specifically, and you know when your when your subjects start complaining because they can't eat, that's got that's got to uh, say something to a king like Pharaoh. Um, let's see, I guess I know I mentioned Newt there. The eighth plague, locusts from the sky. Now we've seen recently, I mean, I guess not here, but we've seen here in the United States that there have been some uh infestations of locusts around. Um I don't know that I've personally ever actually seen a locust, but they're kinda like big grasshoppers, I guess. They eat everything. I know that. And they decimate crops and you gotta figure after after the crops have probably been hammered, they've just been hammered by um hail and now you're gonna have locusts come in too. They uh, will
0: cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will Ugh. devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land until now.
2: Oh, man. I You know, I know you guys know that I'm a manly, manly man, but—
0: I mean, yes.
2: <laughs> I I hate bugs. I mean, little crawly things with legs—they just wig me out, man. And
0: I personally know that you're fine with bats. So, if, <laughs> if there had been a plague of bats, Matt would have been like, "No, I brought a sack and a stick. We're fine." I didn't apparently, get that bugs are.
3: Stick.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a funny little story about Karen. I had to go take care of a bat for her one day.
0: <laughs> was- it was trying to kill me.
2: I was calling her Batgirl for a while. It was it was was interesting. It was just a cute little bat. He just wanted to go outside. So, (laughs) but yeah. Oh, bugs! I don't. Oh, ever since I was a kid, bugs just gave me the willies. My my dad tried to cure me of it by I mean he would specifically put little caterpillars in my hand, and I would as you know I'm four or five years old, and I'm just screaming bloody murder because I just hate things with little legs. They just worms is no big deal. Snakes, I don't care little legs just ugh just just creep me out so this one i mean the idea of all these locusts just covering everything and you can't see even see the ground and you know they're crawling on you and they're they're flying yes. around and yuck oh man down in verse
0: down in verse 15 it says they covered all the ground until it was black they devoured all that was left after the hail everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt
3: yeah
2: man what a what a deal crazy okay. stuff so
1: this would this would have been total they would have been at this point i mean they might have had some food stored away but they're now they're looking at some some economic just devastation and they're looking at famine you know that's what's coming up right here this is this is getting really 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 serious um and still pharaoh was nope he's not going to do it nope and in
2: fact even his servants are starting to turn on him here they're like how do they how they put it verse seven we're in chapter 10 verse seven they said it uh, says, Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So the people are recognizing it, and Pharaoh
1: is just being stubborn. Um, well, stubborn, and he, I mean, not that this could have ever happened in any place outside of Egypt, but it <laughs> appears that the leaders were a little bit out of touch with what was going on with the people they were governing.
0: Let them eat cake <laughs> if they don't have bread, let them eat cake. I mean, <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> now we're told it tells us that an east wind brought these locusts in, so they were getting a literal storm of locusts. And
1: Seth was the god of storms and disorder. I think that I mean, all of these things could have been explained to some degree, right? Okay, oh, we had a big bloom. We had a bunch of frogs that came up and who knows where the gnats came from and the wind brought the locusts in and boils could have come from, you know, maybe we had some, maybe it's all the dead animals around. We got those, but the plague of darkness, there is no, Mm. there is no natural precedence for this because, I mean, I foolishly did not make it all the way up to Wyoming during the last full full eclipse. I didn't go. I did. Um, this is not an eclipse. No. And they know it. No. And this is something like really, really, really like the darkness over Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Yeah. For three
0: days.
1: For three days. Now, I
2: did make it up to Wyoming. We kept our kids out of school because that the, the eclipse was happening on the first day of school here. And we kept our kids out, and our Boy Scout troop went up. One of the dads had some had some land up there that was right over the the path of the of the best viewing site. And watching, I'll never forget it. You know, watching it happen. Um, but the thing that the thing that or one of the things that I remember the most was how quickly it got cold when the sun yeah. was covered up. It had to have dropped. I'm going to say 20, maybe 30 degrees. It didn't last long, but, I mean, it was it was an almost immediate coldness. It was just so I, – I wasn't expecting that. You know, we, we could see the corona around the sun, and the stars came out.
3: You Don't say so corona. Didn't... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but,
2: but, but uh, you know, the stars came out. So we didn't have that total darkness. It became like night, but it just so quickly got cold. And I I can imagine that had to have been part of this. So weird. I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah. It just got cold. It was like, and it wasn't like nighttime cold because this was what? This was the end of August, I think. So it was still summertime, you know, late summer. And, and it just, all of a sudden, um, the temperature just dropped. So okay, weird. But check,
0: this, check this out. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three mm-hmm. days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Yeah. this is this is nothing that's coming from the sky. Right. This is you cannot look up and make this make sense. Like nope. this is utterly supernatural.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was this was you didn't mention it yet, but their god of the sun was one of their primary gods, Ra. Raw.
0: Yeah, like, like, wasn't Pharaoh second only to, to be like a son
2: of? Yeah, Ra yeah. was only second to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the only thing, is the only thing,
4: uh, higher than, than, than Ra. <laughs> and a lot of times they incorporated themselves into Ra. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And the idea of
2: cold that can be, or not cold, but darkness that can be felt. It's pretty hard to find darkness like that here. I mean, you almost have to be underground. I was in, Oh, where was I? I think I was a kid. We went to Cave of the Winds in Colorado Springs. And you get down in there, and they always thought it was fun to shut the lights off on you for a few minutes, you know. And it was so dark, and it's like you think maybe you can see things, but you can't see anything. You can't see it, and it does it. It's almost like you can just you could feel it pressing against you. It's so dark. There's no light at all.
0: Okay, but that's what I'm saying. This is more than an absence of light.
3: Yeah.
0: Yes. Like this is like this is supernatural dark. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. Like we're we're trying to make sense of it by examining things that we've seen occur in nature. This did not occur in nature.
3: Right. That's, that's
0: exactly what I'm trying to say. Like Mhm. Like there you you get no light and you guys get light where you live.
4: Mhm. You know, and I'm wondering too if you know, I know these each have a break in them. But you know, was it still, did it still stink? Was it, you know, Uh, I think all these things are just pressing on you at that point. You know, the, have you totally got all the carcasses of the dead frogs out of there? You know, is there still lice over everything? Is the smell still in the air? Is there dead animals everywhere? You know, I think this is an accumulation of stuff and, you know, to me, it's it's just, it's cumulative. It's, it's mounting on them right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, you got to think, all those things have been building up. I mean, you can, I mean, if the ground has just been covered in bugs and dead frogs and the fish are all dead and the animals are all dead, like we said, you know, they probably had some fires. But that would have taken, you had to figure that would take years to clean up. And now you're. It's so dark that you can't even move, and you just have to sit there and know it's there and smell it, and oh, it would not have been a great time. And I'm thinking here too, because like Karen is saying, there's no there's no light in Egypt, but yet, but yet in Goshen there's light.
0: Oh, I didn't say but that. Yet. That was in the Bible. That wasn't me.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um how weird to think that the Egyptians couldn't even look over to Goshen and see the light, you know, because there was no light. I mean, if there was light coming from the land of Goshen, that they could actually look over and say, oh, hey, how come they have light? No, that's not the way this was. They were just completely enveloped in darkness and couldn't see. But I would suspect that the Israelites would be able to look from Goshen around them and see and see the other utter darkness everywhere else. What a what a fascinating concept.
0: Yeah, it says and, it says the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. So mm-hmm. whether that was just inside their houses or like we don't know. That's all it says.
2: Yeah, but you know the Egyptians they didn't they didn't have candlelight. They didn't have fire. You know any? I mean, I guess every, all their light would have then would have come from fire. All their artificial light would come from fire. Not even that they or didn't even have
1: that they didn't do anything because um, I've been diving and i um hit a thermocline where we where it got really super cold, and the vis we had I had really powerful diving light, but there was something about the turbidity in the water where you it, you're, like your light didn't actually go anywhere. you could turn a light on and it wouldn't go more than about two feet, and it did you absolutely no good, in fact, it was worse. It was just, it was, it was light on was terrible and light off was terrible. There was just no point to having a light. And so whatever it was, is that this darkness was something palpable and Mm -hmm. absolutely supernatural. And it gets Pharaoh to the point at the end where he says, get away from me, Mm -hmm. take care, Mm -hmm. never see my face again from the face you see my face, you shall die. It didn't turn out that way. Um, he did not <laughs> see. Moses, but um, it's interesting because we've, we've we've spoken of it before. But it, and it'll say in in later parts of ten that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and so on like this. But I I have to think when we look at verse three ten three and Moses said to Aaron, and Moses sorry so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him. Thus says, Lord, the God of Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve you. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow morning I'll bring locusts. All of these things imply Pharaoh had a choice. Mm -hmm. All of them. Yeah, every single time. If Pharaoh had no choice and God was just making Pharaoh a puppet, then that is actually ultimately a horrible, ironic question to say how long will you refuse is as if he had a choice right right and so i i think pharaoh had a choice in this and that god's foreknowledge was that pharaoh's heart was hard that he did not literally take the choice away from pharaoh because he doesn't take the choice away from anyone else I don't Mm -hmm. know, you guys think about that whole Pharaoh chose and Pharaoh was hardened and he had no choice and all these other things.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: You know, no, he definitely had a choice the whole time, the whole time. And God knew he wouldn't, or God knew he wouldn't, he wouldn't go the right way.
0: But that doesn't change the fact that Pharaoh was making his choice from moment to moment. Just because God could look ahead and see how it was going to end doesn't mean that Pharaoh wasn't operating inside his own free will. At each step,
3: right?
2: Yep, yep. And once again, God takes takes something bad, and He's going to turn it into something good. Well, if you guys don't have any last thoughts, um, I have no thoughts.
3: (laughs) I I can see. (laughs)
2: Um, This is uh, this is probably the place to stop for the week, and uh, we'll finish this this part up when uh, the last attack goes directly against Pharaoh himself. Uh, and we'll talk about how that is next week when we go, I think we're going to go um, chapter 11 through 15 in Exodus. Uh, so that will be our preparation for next time. Uh, remember that you can reach us at podcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Search for Adventure Through the Bible. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. Help us to get the Word of God out. Help them to see that the Bible is something for everybody, it's for all for all the common people, and that it can be understood, it makes sense, it's logical, and uh, it's, it uh, has relevance for today, uh, and be sure to subscribe to us, look for us on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, a lot of those other places, so just look for us on your favorite uh, podcatchers, uh, so in the meantime, be blessed love each one of you, and we hope to talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.